Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today, we're joined by a woman who won two Olympic medals and a World Championship gold as an integral member of the Australian basketball team, the Opals. Jenny Screen enjoyed a 16-year professional career here and abroad before moving into consulting, coaching, and commentating roles. A fearless leader on the court, Jenny has been just as courageous off it in recent years, opening up about her agonising struggles with fertility. Jenny Screen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I hope I can, uh, you know, fill the, the next 40 minutes for you and be intriguing for your listeners. As usual, we won't be able to fit it in because you are you are a great example of an athlete's career just being the beginning. Now, I know athlete transition something that you're pretty passionate about, but you're living proof that athletes shouldn't be designed by what you do on the court or in the ring, on the field. You are so busy now. I'm not sure how you're fitting it all in. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then throw in a five-month-old and, uh, yeah, I just I guess it's a case of – you just do and don't think. Um, I've never been one to say no to anything. And um, it's not that I get bored very quickly. I just like to be stimulated. And um, if all the things that I do are learning opportunities, then I think that only makes me better at what I actually do do. So, yeah, jack of all trades, master of none, which was my career as no, well as a no, basketballer. Don't sell yourself short. There's no room for modesty here <laughs> on this program. I need to state that from the outset. So can we do a stock take? What actually do you do Jeez. now? Well, right now I'm on maternity leave, but if we go back uh, six months ago before I had my daughter. Um, I work for Basel Victoria in the Pathways. I'm uh look after the the women's metro program here in Victoria, which I'm very passionate about looking after, you know, 12 to 18 year olds and finding the talent here, which is a lot in, uh, we're very blessed with talent in Victoria. And then on top of that, um, I do consultancy. I have a company called Strive 365, which is um, Strive to Reach Your your Value Every Day, um, which is about empowering young individuals to, you know, find out who they are, what they want to do, what they want to be, how they navigate this world of social media, the expectations, you know, how to deal with fear, leaning into fear, those type of things, which I which I really love. Um, and then uh, as well as that, I after my basketball career, I, I had a mother as a teacher, so education was always important. 
important. And I learned at an early time in my career that my basketball could be over very quickly. At 17, I had my first ACL reconstruction and then my second at 19. So education was like, you have to be educated. You have to be educated. So I went to uni and did that parallel with my basketball career and went on to get my master's in sports science, strength conditioning, and then just recently got awarded an honorary doctorate, uh, Edith Cowan in WA. And uh, so I, I was in that space for about seven years after my basketball journey and uh, loved it. It's just another platform for me to be able to coach and expose people to reaching their platforms of potential and, and their realities. And I still kind of now do both. So with my basketball, I've come full circle. Uh, I left the sport quite young um, and I never want to play it again. <laughs> I'm not going to be a Lauren Jackson coming back for a oh, World Cup, what which is that? just phenomenal in itself. But um, in saying that, I try and combine both disciplines, basketball, the skill acquisition side of it, and the strength and conditioning that I learned, you know, over eight years of that part of my life and journey. And how can I infiltrate both of those things and infuse both of those things to enhance a skill set of a, a young and up and coming player to hopefully wear the green and gold? Oh, hang on. You said just then at the start of that nutshell that you're on maternity leave. Now, that's a lie because... Oh, yeah. I forgot I do commentating too. Whoops. That, that Throw that in there. That'd There's many beast. things I think you forgot, but we don't have time <laughs> in the show to summarise them all. Now, that's a lie because you were just up recently at the AIS for the camp, the NBA's basketball with our borders are. Asia camp as, as one of the coaches for what well, you tell me one of the best 16 year olds in the country basically pretty much yeah to anyone born in the 2005 uh, it's in Asia not just Australia so both there's 60 boys and there was about 40 girls the, the women's NBA side is just slowly growing so it's only the second time that they've had it for the females but you had you know NBA assistant coaches there. You had five NBA players uh, take time out of their schedule to come out and be a part of it. Awesome. Then you had past players and plebs like myself join up the ranks as well. And, you know, I did the camp. I took my daughter and I also did a coaching clinic as well with two NBA assistants and, and just this little Jenny living in Victoria. So no, but here you are. Challenge. Here you are with little Edith, who's your beautiful little girl, uh, strapped to your chest on the baby Bjorn, and, and you're sitting down coaching the girls and you're running the plays and Edith is looking over the playbook. It's a great photo <laughs> It was taken, I think, by the NBA. It was, it was, and it, I, it it got some traction that picture. And I didn't even know I was being taken. Clearly, I was in the moment um, and worrying about what I was doing. And it wasn't my daughter. It was actually about coaching these young these young girls from all over the world. And English wasn't their their first language for a lot of them. So to be honest, having Edith there was actually a blessing because it became like a calming dog for a lot of these anxiety, you know, overwhelming situation for a lot of these players to be in. And she just was a a common factor for them all to get along and and take a little bit of, of the fear out of being there and the pressure and she did all right she didn't listen to me she didn't run the play very well uh and she wasn't a distraction I'll give her that but I don't know if she's going to listen to me for many more years to come oh I'm not sure but I reckon there'd be some mums listening to this this morning who'd be thinking how on earth are you able to parent your little girl breastfeeding exhausted all those things that come with motherhood and take charge of a group of 16 year olds running around on court in a week-long camp I mean how on earth are we able to do that I just think the Nike slogan, just do it. Uh, yeah. I, really, I, honestly, I, I, it, for me, I grew up, my mum was a basketballer. I grew up on the sidelines. I grew up in change room with women. Uh, my mum breastfed me on the sidelines. That was just the norm. Uh, then in my playing career, I, I played, I was fortunate to play with Rachel Spawn and Jay Kingy, Michelle Brogan, some of the greats of Australian basketball. They had children young. Yes, there was always, I was going to ask you, there was always mums in the Opal squad though, there, wasn't there? But, yeah, there was mums or, or there was kids around the league and, and, you know, and Jen 
Kristen Sterling, the head coach of the Adelaide Lightning at the time. She was very welcoming. And we used to train at 5.30 in the morning. So these kids would be around the court, running around at 6 a.m. and, you know, in the same in the afternoons. But it was just, they were never a distraction. They were just part of the program. And when the NBA put out the offer to me, I said, yes, but can I bring my daughter because I'm breastfeeding? And they said, no worries. And I have to take my hat off to them at how welcoming they were, how supporting they were. Um, And granted, my daughter's a bit of a jet. You know, she's not the crying type. She doesn't suffer from colic or those type of things at a young age. So she's an easy bub. So she got passed like a, you know, passed the parcel to every single uh, person that was at that camp. And, uh, but that was a, you know, that photo will be something that we'll keep for the rest of our lives, even though she will not remember a bit of it. That's an absolute cracker of a photo. Uh, Before we get to our first break, I think he's not, it's Henry David Thoreau. He was an American uh, poet, philosopher, among other things. Now, he once said, uh, what you get by achieving your goals is not merely as important as who you become by achieving your goals. And and I know this is a quote that you live by, isn't it? Yes, it's on the bottom of my emails and everything that I do. Yeah, it's definitely one of my philosophy and beliefs, very much so. Yeah. And when did you come across that quote? Uh, Towards the end of my career. And I think it was, you know, as athletes these days, back in the day, it was you didn't have money to support yourself. You had to work jobs and don't get me wrong, I did that. I, my first contract was $7,000. I had a full-time job. I went to uni full-time. And that didn't change for the first five years of my career. But I then flip it another 15, 20 years forward to now. Athletes do get paid and still we have a, a gender gap. But now the pressures of social media and everyone having an opinion and, and trolling, I don't know if I could handle that. And so for me, it was more about towards the end of my career when I was exposed to that, it was making sure that I realized that what I did wasn't who I was. Um, Because if you attach yourself to that, then everything and everyone that says and does and their opinions of you end up mattering. Mm. And they can't matter because you'll never sleep. And um, so for me, what I wanted to achieve was whatever I did, I did through hard work and commitment to what I wanted to achieve. But I wanted to make sure that that wasn't my identity. It was just who my job. Yeah. That was my job. But who I am is a great teammate. I'm committed. I'm hardworking. And, and I want to make sure that I pay that forward to the people that next coming, um, who are part of the fabric of basketball or any other sport that I get the privilege to work with, that they realise they're more than just the sport. They're more than just this this piece to a puzzle that is winning a championship for a club and creating revenue. Um, we need to hone in on being able to, as an athlete, take as much from a sport as we can to you know generate our own income and stuff, but then we need to give it on and make sure that we don't get caught mm. up in the identity of, well, I'm just a basketballer. No, that's what I do. It's not who I am. Yeah, it's great advice in today's day and age as we sit here on uh, 24th of August, 2022. That is, that is great advice. And we'll get to that paying it forward philosophy a little bit later on in the show. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers at Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, Edith's arrival was 12 years in the making, so Jenny's incredible journey to parenthood is up after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals at Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to two-time Olympian, former Opals guard, Jenny Screen. So, Jenny, how did you meet the man who would become your husband, the former NBL big man, Neil Mottram? How did you meet Neil? Well, it was... 
the good old days, shall I say, 22 years ago, in fact. Um, and it was all because of that leather round ball, <laughs> whether it's a Moulton or a Spalding. And we both were on scholarship at the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra and both were injured. We Almost were just, childhood sweethearts. We were. You know, 18 we started and we're still going strong. But I think that's uh, given to the fact that we met when we were both injured. So we're in a pretty you know, tumultuous time of our individual careers. At a young age, I did my ACL. He blew out his knee and smashed his, fractured his patella and those type of things. So a rehab. You know, the knees, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and spending a lot of time in the gym and working out together and a friendship blossomed and uh, the rest is history. And the greatest thing about our relationship is that we're best friends. Um, as much as he is my my husband, he is my biggest companion and my biggest supporter in life. And I think that the only reason we're still together 22 years later is that we were selfish enough and appreciated that we knew what we wanted. And that was both to be successful in our own journeys in basketball and the sacrifice was actually our own relationship. So he moved to Perth. I moved to Adelaide. He yeah. moved and played for the Tigers after the Wildcats. I stayed in Adelaide. We both moved to Italy, played in Europe. He went to Sweden, came back to Italy, then came back to Adelaide. So that's probably the the uh, the recipe to a, a great successful marriage is just never spend any time together. <laughs> I was going to say absence <laughs> makes art grow fonder, does it? Yeah, We've it hit did. On something. It did until about 20, 2010, 2011, and I was getting to the latter part of my career and it was my sixth year in Italy and I, we were at uh, an airport and I had done my knee and I was heading home for surgery here in Melbourne and he was staying over there and I just remember being at the airport bawling my eyes out and I'm like I don't want to do this anymore like my my priorities have shifted I was just heartbroken and it was pretty much the turning point of like no basketball isn't my number one priority anymore I've ticked a lot of boxes in my career and um, now I want to focus on us yeah us is still going strong um, you know 15 years married and, and now baby Edith as well bit of a crossroad moment for you wasn't it by the sense so you two were married in 2007 did you always want kids uh, look I'm the oldest of five and um you know, I think it's not something that I dreamed of. I didn't want the white pick and fence and the children. It was just something that I thought would happen. You know, at school, when you go through school, it's, you know, wear a condom. You're going to fall pregnant every time you have sex, which is not the reality <laughs> at all. Um, and uh, I just thought it would naturally happen. I'd retire. You know, the rest would become history. I would become a mother, yada, yada, yada. And uh, that wasn't our story at all. So you retired from international basketball 2014 and then professional, I think, about 12 months, 18 months after that and you'd had tried to start a family a few years before this but you got to IVF in 2015. Tell us a bit more about that initial moment because I think from what I read tests on both of you revealed almost from the outset that it was going to be more complicated than just going down the IVF path. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we got these tests back and I, and I think it's for anyone listening that's going for fertility journeys is not to get caught up in the numbers. It's very easy to, you know, hear this and go, oh, well, it's done. Um, we got told we had less than um, 1% chance of falling pregnant, um, to which I scoffed and laughed at. That's my way of dealing with <laughs> sadness or being upset is I laugh. Um, and I laughed at the obstetrician and the gynecologist at the time. I went, oh, really? That's, that's great. And and, uh, and then that's what started the journey. I have severe endometriosis and um, my husband has his own infertility issues because he was eight weeks premature, even though he's six foot ten. Um, Jeez, thank so, goodness he didn't arrive on time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, we it was always going to be a recipe for disaster. So we navigated that space. We did 13 rounds of IVF, which is probably a down payment of a, a, a nice little million oh, dollar property. <laughs> this, yeah, exactly. So not that this is something you think about at the time. No. But honestly, that that's uh, you, you pay a price in 
many ways. Financially, literally, that is a big export. It is. It's 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 ginormous. And every uh, there was a period of time where we were going through our cycles, and and uh, each cycle for us is a lot more complicated. It's not just uh, the IVF. It's uh, a different level and a lot more um, intervention from the specialists. And you're out of pocket. Well, not out of pocket. You pay up front about thirteen thousand dollars, and mm. then you get back anywhere from about four to five thousand. So it's a big hit. You know, you just again found a way and and some people leverage their homes they mortgage them they have to take out a second job like it's flabbergasting what people do in the extremes they go to in order to try and have a child and I'm just lucky that Neil and I we've got two good jobs mm. well, I've got a few jobs <laughs> um, but uh, and we just saved really well and I don't know in the moment you don't think of it as money and you're handing over um, because you're just so invested in trying to make it happen but it does overwhelm you at times you're like how can we keep going with this and yeah. you, you know that some people can't and they stop for that reason. But that's just financially, of course, as I said before. There's the emotional stuff, there's the <laughs> yeah. mental stuff, there's obviously the physical. I mean, how hard was it? As an athlete, you, you would have set goals, you would have set goals, you would have achieved goals, you would have become used to controlling everything about your career and your destiny to be so out of control and helpless. I imagine that would have been really tough. Considering you hit the the, the word on the head there with control, I think control is my middle name. Um, I'm very goal-orientated. Mm. I just thought, well, you know, we do this, uh, we'd, we'd go through a cycle and it would just happen and by the fourth cycle and it not happening I was just it wasn't so much the physical toll like I was fine with the injections and all those type of things and the drugs you might have to ask my husband he might have thought I was a bit off the cuckoo but um it was more the letdown and and the, the thought of failure that I'd I'd let my husband down it's not working it's me all those type of things that happens that really destroys you it wasn't until we got to the 13th one or the 12th one actually where I started to have panic attacks in my sleep and I didn't realize I was having them and I'd wake up and I, you know, blame it on, oh, no, it's just really cold. The air's, I'm coughing. And then I realize, oh, no, this has hit me on a different level and I can't do this anymore. Like, I need to stop. And and that's where surrogacy came in. And my my best friend of over, you know, 18 years said, Jenny and Neil, you need to stop. Like, I can help you do this. And then we ventured. And that was like the biggest relief ever for someone that's a control freak that I now can remove any expectation of myself. And uh, she gave us that blessing. We went down that path. That in itself is a journey. Oh, my Lord. That took over 12 months. That was in the midst of COVID. You know, that's about 40 grand, if we're being honest, to just go through that part. We got the tick of approval. You know, it's really weird when you go into a room and there's a panel of people deciding whether your best friend gets to carry your child. They gave us the approval which is nice <laughs> um, <laughs> Important. Uh, yeah and we went down that path with her and unfortunately got delayed a few times because of COVID she lives in South Australia did a cycle didn't work was about to do the the last one I did not my last cycle uh, to for egg retrieval to get some for her and we changed clinics at that point we'd gone to number one fertility with Dr. Lynn she just and I'd had major surgery about Four months before that, on my endometriosis, I found a fabulous surgeon um, who I think I owe a lot to because um, I'd had previous surgeries before that, um, and my pain was still pretty horrific. Yeah, she, Dr. Lynn just put, you know, put the uh, not the doubt, but she just said, "Well, Jenny, you're going to do the egg retrieval. You've had the surgery. Why don't you just try one more time? You've got D in the back corner if you need, and we can always, you know, tap her on the shoulder should that need to be case. But you've got nothing to lose." And I looked at my husband. And I went, "I don't know if I can do this." Mm. And then he just looked at me. He's like, "What do you want to do?" And I I said, I looked at Lynn and I went, okay, let's do it. One more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we did the egg retrieval, uh, did a transfer, and then four weeks later, 
I was pregnant. And then my best friend's like, thank God, I don't have to carry your child. Oh, and then the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but perhaps that, you know, you never know what it is. You want to, you know, lay claim to something, whether it was Lynn, whether it was Dr. Simon Gordon, having the surgery, the universe, D, the pressure taking that off me, knowing that she's in the back of my, my bag if I needed her. Who knows? You just don't know. Um, but what I do know is I have a five-month-old and she is gorgeous and and I'm totally smitten by her, as, as is my husband. Can you remember the moment when you found out it was actually going to happen? I mean, did you? Did you? Could you accept it? I mean, it had been so long. It must have been an enormously powerful. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it was still a bit of a story because they call you, right? You have a two week wait, which is just awful. Anyone that has gone through this, and there's probably a lot of listeners that have the two week wait is the worst period of your life. You know, people are like, don't think about it. You'll be fine. You're going to be pregnant. It's like no, that's not how it works. Mm. And you try and stimulate yourself in different ways to not to think about it. I remember I was near my husband's work on Spencer Street and I got a phone call. We were going out for dinner that night. They said, oh, Jenny, just letting you know, congratulations, you're pregnant. Really? Shut up. They're like, no. I said, you're joking. They're like, no, you're pregnant. I went, wow. And I didn't know what to say and they said, however. And I went, oh no, here we go. Your progesterone's really low. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, there's a chance of miscarriage. And so in, I just like, I didn't know whether to be excited, sad, happy. So I just went, okay. They're like, so what we need you to do is just, we're going to wait two days and we'll take another blood test and hope that everything's fine. Just continue on with your progesterone. And I went, okay. And I hung up and I rang another lady in my corner, my my acupuncturist who I've known now for two and a half years, um, Amanda Waldyke. And I said, this is what happened. And she's like, no, call them back, get your progesterone, get them oil, get injections happening into you, pump yourself full of progesterone. So that sucker does not leave. Like right now. Yeah. Right now. And if it wasn't for her, I don't know what would have happened. So I did, went straight to the chemist. You know, this oil was bloody $250, <laughs> but it doesn't matter now. Yeah. And it didn't matter then. And so I did that. And two days later, Jenny, this baby's not going anywhere. It's stuck. I'm oh, so glad, obviously, that you had a happy ending. But even in your darkest moments, you were really open with it. I mean, you've spoken a lot and, and it was documented a lot about your battles, both, you know, in the moment and after. I mean, was that to gain strength from the support? Is that naturally in you to share things? When Was there an urge to keep it private? Uh-huh. No, because I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know, and I get emotional sitting here. I know lots of people and I think it's it's hard and I think the more people talk about it, you know, miscarriage, infertility, whatever it is in this journey, everyone nearly you walk past has a story. Um, And I think by sharing your story, one, you realise you're not alone and two, you might pick up something just so small that you might be able to add to your story that, you know, ultimately makes it all come to fruition for you. The reason when I did fall pregnant and I kept it really quiet is I felt guilty. There was a lot of guilt for falling pregnant because for so long my story or our story had been you can't fall pregnant, you're not going to have children. Um, so you found your people, right? Mm. You had your village your community. of people. Yeah, yeah, in similar circumstances. Then once I was lucky enough by whatever being to then fall pregnant, I felt oh my God, you know, I'm now one of these people. For a long time in my pregnancy, I had to overcome. It wasn't probably till about 28 28 weeks, maybe my last trimester, where I felt comfortable. And because I was was worried, like people thinking, oh, now she's gone and done it. Oh, look at her. She's lucky now, unlike me. And, And don't get me wrong, I was in that boat too. Like the amount of times I wanted to, and this is not real, this is just in my head. You know, I'd see a pram and or I, I'd see a woman that's pregnant. I just wanted to go slap her or stab her. The yeah. resentment and the, the enviness. 
um, and the jealousy, it can creep up on you. And now I was one of those ones no longer in that boat. And I didn't want to leave my village because those village people had become so supportive. Mm. But I'm also a beacon of hope. I think, I don't know. Um, but there was a lot of guilt for me to come overcome um, with actually being pregnant. And that's probably why I didn't enjoy it at all. I hated being pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I hated labour, the whole bloody thing. These women that say, oh, it's glowing. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, and uh, because you have Again, no control over your body. Things just change. Um, the scales keep going up no matter what you do. Um, and, you know, I think it was once I got over the guilt, I started to enjoy it a little bit more. And um, But, yeah, it, it's an interesting journey, the psyche and how you uh, attach yourself to it and, and the story. But I'm just one of a million stories in Australia in terms of infertility. Should we lighten the conversation and talk some hoops? Yeah. Let's, Let's do, do that. that. All right. You're with, this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, tobinbrothers.com.au. So let's revisit Jenny's rise through the basketball ranks right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, welcome back. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is former Opal and WNBL guard Jenny Screen. So Jenny, let's go back. You're born in Newcastle. You're going to have to jog my memory because I'm a lot in baby brain at the moment. (laughs) Well, I'll remind you that you were born in Newcastle in 19... Thank you. I am a Novocastrian. 83. Uh, How early in your life did the dream crystallise in your mind that you wanted to be a professional basketballer? Was it a long-held dream? Something you stumbled upon? Did it happen organically? Did it crystallise? Yeah, look, I don't know. I was lucky enough that both my parents were very active. Uh, I grew up around sport. My dad was was in rugby union, surfboat. Um, I grew up on the beach. My mum was always in basketball, netball. Uh, She's also a PE teacher. So sport was always going to be in my blood. But I can't say that I, you know, I woke up one morning and said I wanted to play for Australia. I remember as a kid I had an art book and I drew a picture of myself wearing a green and gold uniform. Whatever that sport was, I don't know. Um, But that's what I was. And then through my high school years, I played all sports. I did swimming, touch. um, I dabbled in ballet and gymnastics until my body was like, no, you don't look great in a leotard, girlfriend. You better move on to something something else. Um, went to uh, netball. I did basketball. I did volleyball. And it wasn't until I got to year 11 and 12 when education was important. And um, I was representing the state in Queensland because I'd moved up there at an early age. And I had to decide because, you know, school was important, which one I was going to focus more on. Mm. And um, the reason I chose basketball was because it was an Olympic sport at the time. I guess that's where maybe the seed was planted. I don't know. And uh, But I have a very pessimistic attitude or idea as a, you know, sometimes glass half empty in terms of my own self-belief and worth as a a sports person. So um, I was always striving, always striving, always never good enough. And I think in two parts, that's what made me get to where I got to, but also didn't let me enjoy it as much as I wanted to. I was going to ask you, is that healthy? or No, it's not. But uh, I would guarantee you there would be a lot of athletes exactly like that, no matter what discipline or what sport they oh, are in sure. but uh it's a fine line and um for me I it was I was never the gifted athlete you wouldn't have picked me up out of a line and gone oh she's going to be an opal I was just the rung of the player but when I stepped over or over that white line if you will I was a competitor and um if you were going to beat me you had to go through me and <laughs> um 
I don't look at me like that when you I say know, that. My right? eyes is like the re- resting bitch face kind of switches <laughs> don't on. Don't look at me like that. But I was a competitor, and I don't know whether that's been the eldest child. You know, I went to boarding school. Um, I, you know, I just like the fight, not physically. Um, don't get me wrong, I loved a good, you know, Scrap. biffo. Yep, um, bring back the biffo, I say. Um, but uh, I just like sometimes not being told you're good enough was good enough for me in order to prove you wrong. Speaking yeah. of bring back the biff, you went from blue to maroon. So you moved to Queensland at a young age. Or was it young? Yes, young. Uh, moved up there in primary school, uh, then came back um, to live with my dad for a little bit, then moved back to Queensland um, and then finished off my schooling in Queensland before I went to Canberra at the AIS. So Toowoomba, junior basketball? Toowoomba. I am the Mountainette um, or the Mountaineers, if you will, and uh, I, I owe a lot to them. I grew up there playing basketball and netball. I had a lot of ability a lot. I lived with different families. My mum moved back to New South Wales when I became a boarder. Um, so there are a lot of people. It, would t- it takes a village to raise a, a person and I owe a lot of people a lot in terms of my growing up and what I did and uh, the driving that people did with me to take me to sports. So um, a mm. shout out to all of them. But yeah, Toowoomba was a great place to grow up. So from the Mount Nets to the AIS where you met Big Neil, of course, and then you established yourself at the Adelaide Lightning. Um, how do you look back on those seasons over there? Yeah, look, I loved it. It was it was a hard decision. It was between Adelaide Lightning and Townsville. I'd gone away with the Australian junior team. Uh, Ray Tomlinson, who's one of the greats, Hall of Famer in, in basketball Victoria and um, was my coach at the time with the Australian junior team and I was trying to decide where to go. I could have gone to Townsville, probably would have got more opportunity in terms of playing and those type of things. Earned a little bit more cash, maybe 10 instead of seven. <laughs> um, but it was the lure of playing with some of the greats in the game and learning from them. For me, it wasn't about how much court time can I get? It was like, how much can I learn from Jay Kingy? How much can I learn from Rachel Spawner, a three-time Olympian, you know, two-time world championship player? How much can I learn from the brain of Michelle Brogan, who's just become a inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame? How much can I learn from those girls? And then how much can I land from Jern Sterling. So that was the challenge for me. I absorbed as much as that as I could and played for them. And it wasn't until 2005 when I was 25 and I got my first call up to the, the Australian squad. Was there a young Erin Phillips there then? There was a long, young Erin, Victoria, or Vic we called her. I don't know what she's called in the footy world, but uh, Vic was our nickname with her. And uh, Where'd that come from? Uh, her middle name. Yeah, of I know. So, but no, Vic was around and, uh, you know, she was an up and comer, a couple of years younger than me. And, uh, we had some great years together as well. And not only with the Adelaide Lightning, but also on the Australian team. So your form here, obviously, as you mentioned, saw you make the Opal squad for 2006 and thank goodness you did the world champs in Brazil because it turned out to be a very successful trip to South America, ultimately a gold medal. How do you reflect on this part of your life? One of the best that I got to ride on the coattails are some of the best players to ever don the green and gold pretty much be a spectator. Yes, I was one of the 12, don't get me wrong, but I I was... I told my, you there was no room for modesty. I know, but my role was to make the others better and fill the spots that needed to be filled. My role wasn't to score 20 points or be the Lauren Jackson, the Penny Taylor, the Christy Harrowers. There was too many players. Yeah, yeah. My role was to absorb it, fill the gaps and, and be one of the glue players. And that's where I, I, I think forged my career with the Opals. But being in Brazil, um, especially after three months prior to that, not making the comms game team, which was a difficult 
you know, probably a, a fork in the road in my career because the same coach that cut me, Jan Sterling, from the Com Games team, then picked me three months later to be at the World Cup is pretty interesting in itself. The hardest thing about the Com Games was that my now husband made the Com Games. He was an Australian boomer under Brian Corgin. And his brother, Craig Mottram, a uh, four-time Olympian, also mm-hmm. goes down in history, one of the greatest raiders, races at uh, Melbourne Cricket Ground in terms of the 5,000 metres. I get I missed out on the opportunity to work out, walk out in the opening ceremony with those two. So that that was gut-wrenching for me, but it also, again, I put my head down and then three months later I got to stand on the podium with a gold medal for a World Cup and it's still only gold medal uh, for both male and female in our sport. You'd go to two Olympic Games, Beijing 08, you won silver, and London with the bronze. Beijing, the side didn't lose a game and then there was that gold medal showdown with... Yeah. The US. Oh, the US. Anything that could go wrong went wrong in that gold medal game. And we were confident. We were confident. We just won the World Cup a couple of years prior. Yes, we didn't play USA, but we were still good enough that had we crossed with USA, we would have been ready. Uh, Russia just did us a favour. In terms of that game, the hardest thing was we lost Penny in the quarterfinal. She went down with a horrific ankle injury, to which I might add, she couldn't play the the semi-final. And I, to that point, had only averaged probably maybe 10 minutes a game. And I get a, a, a team meeting or a coaches meeting the night before the, the semi-final, which is against China, in China, which is just like playing Brazil in Brazil. And we're playing in front of 20,000 people and uh, the coaches bring me in. They're like, Screeny, so Penny's out for the game. Uh, we're going to bring you into the starting lineup. Uh, uh, and you're going to defend um, Meow Meow. And she's averaging uh, 22 points a game, leading the Olympics in scoring. Uh, yep, you'll be great. No worries. All right, off you go. I was pooing my pants. And it wasn't until I went back to my room and I was rooming with um, Penny Taylor and Laura um, Hodges at the time. And I told Penny, I said, Penny, I'm starting tomorrow. And she's like, you've got this, babe. You'll be fine. I have no doubt. You're ready. And it wasn't until she said that and her confirmation in me that I went, yeah, I'll be okay. So I'd gone from playing 10 minutes to then having to start to then trying to have to shut down one of the greats of the Olympics for China and in the competition. And we came away with that win. And then we move on to the gold medal game. Penny comes back in. You want. Mm. She's one of the greatest players ever to play the game uh, for Australia. And she couldn't feel her ankle. Like it was injected so much and I remember we were warming up and bless her, she tried her hardest. She was in so much pain, um, but you just do what you can, right? You know, you you push through and you run through brick walls and um, she goes, Screeny, is my shoe on? I'm like, yeah. She's like, she goes, I can't feel my foot. And you're like, oh my God, this is in the warm up. You know, the rest is history. We had a really awful game. Um, they pulled our pants down. They smacked us. And I, I still look at those photos and we're all crying. We've got a silver medal. A silver. It kind of seems a bit pathetic. We've got a silver medal. You know, only 0.00001% of the population get to go to the Olympics and then even less mm. get to medal. And here we are crying on the podium because we get a silver. But we were just so devastated because we had the team um, and just nothing went to plan that day, um, which was the hardest thing. And in hindsight, probably if Penny had never done her ankle, it could be a different story but such is life and USA continue to be our nemesis and and hopefully at this World Cup in a couple of weeks things might be different. I'll come back to the US in a moment but I wanted to ask you about Parma. What was it uh, like playing basketball in Italy? I mean it would have been amazing. Uh, Tiamo Italia. Um, I I love Italy. I, I love everything about it. Um, I lived there for five and a half years. Played in Parma for four. Played in Venezia which is Venice for as two. How's your Italian? It'd be pretty good wouldn't it? Parlo un poco italiano. Si. I, I love parmigiano, prosciutto, like all the, <laughs> yep. the delicacies of the Italian food. I got to appreciate food. It was the only first time I started drinking 
drinking coffee was when I was 25. Well, it's a good um, place to start. Well, yes, it is. Very much Is it so. an athlete's diet over there? Yeah, well, uh, yeah because... A few temptations. Oh, that gelato. You... <laughs> yeah, and the pizza's right. I remember the pizzas came out like uh, the, for the first time. It was a whole pizza. And the, the, yeah, they every, don't do... I looked around and everyone's eating. I'm not used to just having two slices <laughs> of like a Domino's pizza, right? But everyone's eating the pizza. But after time, you realise it's because there's the delicacy is in less is more with the Italians, right? The quality of the produce is great, so you don't need to douse it with everything, and that's why you can eat a whole pizza. Yeah. It took me a whole season to be able to eat a whole pizza, but uh, don't worry, by my third, fourth season, I was eating lots of pizza. What great life experiences, though. Oh, 100%. And to be honest, not only did I get to immerse myself in a different culture, and let's go back to when I was there. We we had Skype. We still had dial-in internet. Um, we didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have GPS on our phones. I had a TomTom in my car. So the ability to actually explore and feel comfortable exploring as a 25-year-old in a foreign country is a little bit more scary when you don't have a mobile phone. The yeah, world was bigger then. Yeah, absolutely. And the one day your internet doesn't work because the dial-up's not working, you're just bawling your eyes out because you want to speak to people on oh, the other side the of the world. that's because the guy downstairs is on the phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get off the yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you reflect on that and you're also playing eight months of the year abroad in the middle of winter. I had some minus 10. My husband played a minus 20 up in Sweden. It's dark from two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. Doesn't become light till 10 o'clock a day. You might get five hours of sunlight. It's tough. It's a grind. Yes, I got to eat, sleep and play basketball for six years and I'm truly grateful. But I reflect on that as also making me as a player because you had to do everything. And uh, we didn't fly in jets. We washed our own uniforms. We did 15 hour bus trips, you know, flu economy. And I also remember almost crashing into a mountain in a plane. Um, and it took me a long time to get back on a plane after that. So there's there's a lot of things people don't realise. They think it's all this glory. You're living in a foreign country. You're in Italy. Yeah, oh, but, but I bet problemo. you wouldn't change it for the world though, would you? Hell no. Yeah, I wouldn't um, because I still have some lifelong friends there and the ability to hear the language and understand it and also develop that part was really priceless yeah. as well. We're talking to Jenny Screen on This Is Your journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's been great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And Jenny Screen's been our magnificent guest today. Just before the break, Jenny, you touched on uh, a flight scare. Now, I'm not um, – if, if anyone is going on a plane listening to this uh, at the moment, then <laughs> in, the, in the near future, perhaps turn off. But I'm not. So I just want to ask you, what, what happened here over there in Italy? A magnificent life experience equipped with uh, everything from – uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then a bit of a flight scare yeah, as well. we were flying back from Sarajevo, and uh, we're in a small plane, a propeller plane, two by two, so um, and 14 rows. So just get that in your head, small plane. You've got big players. One, Some of my teammates were six foot seven. Oh, I don't like this. Um, and uh, the pilot just came over the speaker and said, oh, we're going to go through some turbulence, which is fine because I'd flown so much by then. It was like, turbulence, whatever. Anyway, so starts to get a bit bumpy, and then all of a sudden – just picture like a plane being on puppet strings and the plane just dropped. And I swear it dropped like you were coming out of a, a plane doing a sky jump and it just dropped. And I reckon it was about 20 metres. Everything that any – like we had food on our on our tray tables, 
that just went flying. People's computers went flying and then it kind of just picked up and landed again. And it, and some of my teammates were screaming. There was a guy that was two parts pissed. He was laughing. Um, my president's like freaking out that he's going to have a team that's going to die up in the plane. I was in the back row, so which is even worse because you get to see the whole plane. Um, and I heard behind me the flight attendant, she went smash back into the uh, all the equipment back there. I was sitting to sitting next to some guy that I didn't know, at which point the plane then just went 90 degrees and flipped on its side. I hit the guy on my side. He's hit the inside of the plane. We've jolted back into neutral. And then I look across the aisle and one seat in front and Laura Hodges, who I was playing with at the time, my fellow Australian, my best friend, um, one of my best friends, she was sitting there and I grab her hand. We're holding hands in the aisle. I've got tears coming down my eyes. I'm not crying. I'm crying, but I'm not, you know. Oh, Lord. And you're just in the state of panic. And she's like, breathe screening, breathe screening. I'm like, and you go into survival mode. You're like, okay, if we go down, who am I getting and where am I getting out? And all I cared about was Laura. <laughs> truth be told. Everyone else be dead. Yeah. Truth be told, all I cared about was Laura, at, at to which point, by that point, I was holding a hand so goddamn hard, I reckon I drew blood um, with my fingernails. And I was like, where's the exits? And anyway, what probably seemed like 20 minutes was probably five. But again, you have no control. And um, we were finally coming into descent and we actually landed. And at which point I just bawled my eyes out. And oh, I forgot to mention that the masks came out too. Did I forget that bit? Yeah, I did. Baby brain. So the mask came out, but we landed. I cried. You know, people were clapping and cheering. And now I understand why people clap and cheer when planes land internationally now. Whereas Australia, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we landed and we were meant to get back on a plane the next day to go to Napoli. We all refused. We we're like, we're not getting on a plane. We're going on a bus. My, my president got off the plane. You're not allowed to smoke on the tarmac. He lit up a cigarette straight away and was sucking that thing back fast. Tears down his own eyes. It took me, let's say, suffice to say, a couple of years to get over turbulence, even just the little ones. I reckon I would. So we opened the show talking about your lovely little girl, Edie, and the fact that you went up to the AIS and you had a, a strapped to your chest, which is amazing. So as I'm looking at this photo, I'm thinking, and what you do, she's either going to love this game or she is going to hate this game, isn't she? She's spending a lot of time on the court at the moment, I take it? Yeah, she is. I mean, I'm only doing a little bit at the moment. I, I came back into commentary mm. with the NBL three weeks after I had her, which wasn't the greatest idea because I, you know, I could have peed my pants at any time um, postpartum. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for all the blokes listening, but you just don't understand, but you need to appreciate it, what a woman goes through. Yep. But yeah, she's, it's in her blood. She was born in March. The NBL finals were on the WNBL finals on March Madness so it was three o'clock in the morning I'm feeding her in the hospital yeah. and I'm watching all the basketball that's on TV so it will be there I don't care if she plays the game you know I think most parents say that maybe they don't but I don't care I'm glad she's just here I want her to be exposed and experience all walks of life all different people all different sports if she happens to choose basketball good on her if she doesn't I'm hoping it's tennis and golf so I can just you know sit in the box and and <laughs> And watch, but no, um, she's uh, she's definitely the apple of our eye and, and a blessing. And if you keep doing these camps, then I guess it's more babysitting options. You must be up to the hundreds by now. Absolutely. There was, trust me, there was a plethora of people wanting to hold her um, and uh, take her off me, which was really nice. It just gives me a little bit more flexibility and the more I can get her comfortable to being around a, a stadium and on the pine, the, the easier it is for me to return to full-time work as well. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today and coming into the studio. You have a marvellous career on the corner. That goes without saying, but you've got a lot to be thankful for there. 
but but now everything to be thankful for, of course, with that beautiful little girl you've got, and, and the fact that you keep giving back, such a great thing. Like uh, along with the life lessons and the guidance that you're providing the next generation, so you're giving back, which is awesome. So well done on everything you achieved, and thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Thanks for joining us. Also, you've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online. You can catch them at tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.